Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Courage to Change Recovery Podcast. My name is Ashley Lowe Blassingame, and I am your host. Today, we have Jody Sweeten. Jody Sweeten melted our hearts and made us laugh for eight years as a cherub-faced, goody-two-shoes middle child, Stephanie Tanner. Her ups and downs seem not so different from our own. But more than a decade after the popular television show ended, the star publicly revealed her shocking recovery from drug addiction. (gasps) That's my shock. Even then, she kept a painful secret, one that could not be solved in 30 minutes with a hug, a stern talking to her, a bowl of ice cream around the family table. The harrowing battle she swore she had won was really just beginning. In her deeply personal, utterly raw, and ultimately inspiring memoir, Unsweetened, Jody speaks about the double life she led, the crippling identity crisis, the hidden anguish of juggling a regular childhood with her Hollywood life, and the vicious cycle of abuse and recovery that led to a relapse, even as she wrote her book. Finally, becoming a mother gave her the determination and the courage to get sober. Hers is not a story of success or defeat, but of facing your demons, finding yourself, and telling the whole truth. Jody's most recent work includes starring in multiple Hallmark Movie Channel movies and Fuller House, a sequel series to the wildly popular Full House. The final season of Fuller House aired on June 2nd on Netflix. She also co-hosts a hilarious podcast, Never Thought I'd Say This, with her best friend Celia Behar, where they tackle the truth and taboo about parenthood. We loved getting to speak with Jody, and we know you'll love hearing this interview too. Thank you so much to Jody for being here. Oh, she is amazing. Her story is amazing. Her truth is amazing. Absolutely loved having her on here. I know you all will love her as well. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. If you're not new to the podcast, welcome back. And episode 57, let's do this. My older one just started middle school this year. So, like, you know, it's this is just, like, the worst thing that's ever happened in her life. Which it is up until this point. Not You know what I mean? She hasn't had to survive yeah. that many horrific things, which I keep to, I need to keep reminding myself. Because sometimes I'm like, you got, I, I know, it sucks. It sucks. Like, get over it. And then I'm like, this is, they haven't had to deal with, like, yeah. tragedy. You know what I mean? Like, I've lived 38 years and done some real dumb shit. So, like, at this point, I'm like, we got to stay inside. It's not that bad, you know? But they're like, that's the worst thing ever. Oh. I got called the killer of joy last week, so I feel like I'm doing my job really well. You were called the killer of joy? <laughs> the killer of joy. I took a bow to that, which they did not find funny. Oh, my God. Oh, my so I was God. Like, You're right. I am. I am the killer of joy, here to suck I... all fun things out of an otherwise not fun time at all. So, yeah, that's what I like to do, guys. Just, you know, be an asshole and, like, steal every moment of fun that you have. Well, I'm super glad that it's your fault that COVID's happening. Because I was looking for it someone is. to blame totally this my, whole time. Yeah. I mean, you and a few others. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's my fault. So here I am. I have, I have caused COVID. <laughs> According to my children, it's like, they get it. But I mean, it's hard. You know, it's hard to explain this to kids. It's hard to explain this to adults. I didn't think was the case, but I'm... I, I'm yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Never, so, cease, yeah. never cease to amaze me. Never cease to amaze me. Yeah. The uh, The... So my twins are three, almost three and a half, and they know that they're cooties, but they don't understand. So like we're having conversations about 
germs. And so they're like, oh, well, are there germs here? I'm like, yes, but they're good germs. So are we talking about right. good it's germs, hot. bad? Right. Oh my God. Right. I'm not prepared and for this. And kids like trying to be like, don't touch your face. Don't do it. Like when yeah. they're little like that, it's impossible. Oh yeah. And then the, the like mask thing. food off the ground in line at Disneyland like that. I mean, that's just oh, what yeah. toddlers do. Like, yeah, they're gross. Children yeah. are still gross. Children are gross, but they get slightly less disgusting. No, that's not true. That's actually not true. I would like to say that they do, but I just found a, bo- a bag of chips in my daughter's laundry. So <laughs> they don't get, they don't get any less disgusting. Yeah. I feel like, and, and little, little boys, I, I don't, Ooh, I don't, yeah, little boys um, are, yeah. If, of all the things that are coming my way, less disgusting doesn't feel like it's on the, uh, no, on the no. docket. Definitely not. No, my and and like something about tweens too. They love to just bring all the food into their room, mm-hmm. but never clear any of it out. Mm-hmm. I did that. So I'm like, why that. is there like a half-eaten burrito in here from yesterday? Why? It's gross. It smells in here. Do you not smell that when you walk in? No. We're <laughs> so critical. I'm like, because it's fucking reeks in here. It's disgusting. <laughs> oh so my god. Critical? What are you so mean? I'm like, ah. Oh, they do anything right these days is that yeah. that also comes as you get older or as they yeah. get older is that just everything you do is wrong i breathe wrong i speak too loud i do like everything is just <laughs> everything oh. right you're not, and i'm like you're not, i'm glad the feeling's mutual because you annoy the shit out of me too kids so <laughs> so are they so like I, I hear people talk about this where like their their parent did something cool in that other people think is cool or recognized for and the kids don't give a shit. Yeah, no, my kids don't really care. They used to like coming to the set of Fuller House because, you know, the other kids were there that they were friends with that were on the show. So like they loved doing that. They loved craft service. They, you know. Yeah, and it was people that they'd sure. known for years. So they would come and whatever. But like one time they came and they got in a fight in the schoolroom, like a physical fight in the schoolroom with each other. <laughs> which one of the kids on the show has to tell me in the middle of a tape night, like an audience tape night. He's like, okay, so here's what happened. And I was like, I'm going to kill my children. This is, so I was so pissed. My mom took them. I was like, get them out, take them out of oh, my dressing room. I'm done. Cause I was like, you guys, like I get, this is fun and it's play and it's relaxed and you know, everybody right. and I kind of can do whatever I want here, but you guys can't. And you guys embarrassed me. So, and then I was like, you guys can't come. And they were distraught. So bummed. Yeah. Oh my God. But now my kids don't like, as far as watching the show, they don't care. Yeah. Yeah. I think they like getting to the age now where it's kind of cool. I think that like people know who their mom is. Like they're kind of, I think starting to like enjoy the cachet of that, which I'm like, just stop it now. Like, don't even, (laughs) don't be that person. It's obnoxious. Um, So Yeah. Oh man, teenage. Yeah, it's it's always it's always complicated, right? right? And trying to explain like why, without scaring them, that you know, look, more people in the world know who you are, yeah, because of who I am, yeah. And so, like, I had to have this conversation with her yesterday because she had some missteps online, as they do when they're twelve, because they don't know how to feel safe. And uh, we had a real conversation. I was like, Zoe, if you don't think people know who you are and know your name and can find out like you can't put certain things out there. You can't, you know, yeah. and yeah. she was like, Oh, I was like, yeah. When you shoot a video, you have to be careful that it doesn't say where you go to school. Don't have a school sweatshirt on, but like, yeah. And they don't get Stuff. these things. These are things yeah. that me growing up, I've had to think of my entire life and they've never had to. 
Right. You know, so right. it is without being like, hey, you know, there's weird, crazy stalkers out there, but being like, look, you're not just some anonymous kid. And that was what my mom always had to tell me too. Like, you're not just some anonymous kid out in the world. You know, people know you and people know them, you know. So, so like, you're not just some anonymous. So like, okay, we're alcoholics, right? We're, and like, we, the attention, we want to be known, like we, we, we need to be seen, right? Whatever that means in a, in a relationship. And so like being not anonymous and being like, so there's like, I need to be seen by somebody. Right. And then there's being seen by the whole world. Does that, fill any of that void that we like were born with? I don't have that void. I don't, I like to not be, uh, to just sort of blend in. I mean, I, I love what I do and I love performing, but I am not a person that like needs to necessarily stand out. I'm not that person that craves that attention. Ironically, I do this because it's what I love, but like, I don't like, I actually don't love the, the part of it, other stuff that goes along with it. I, most of my friends aren't in this business for that very particular reason yeah. that I, not because I don't like people in this business, but just because most of my life is so very normal Yeah, that I like yeah. to be seen that way. I like to be seen that way as opposed to something else, but it is hard. I mean, it's been hard. You know, I, um, like I found in Zoom meetings online during this pandemic, but I don't have the same ability to just sit there anonymously and not have somebody take a screenshot of a meeting that I'm in and, you know, yeah. that's super annoying or record what I say or, you know, so. Yeah. Even like if you change your name and all that, you know. I mean, I, the second I put my face up there, everyone knows. I mean, a lot of people in LA know I'm in recovery anyway. And it's one thing it's it's uncomfortable enough to walk into a new meeting um, when people are like, Oh my God, it's you know, and you know, and every alcoholic, like you're like, Oh my God, they know, like everyone knows, you know what I mean? So that's hard enough. But then, you know, you just sit there and people are staring at a screen full of faces for an hour. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's interesting. I, when, uh, when the whole, uh, to there are two times where I've thought about like what it would be like to get sober in the public eye. One was when, now I'm going to forget his name, his name, Macklemore. Yeah. Yeah, And talking about relapse and, and then when Demi Lovato and, I just thought to myself, like, and, and uh, I had, you know, I lived in LA, so I had connections through the program to, you know, kind of hearing some of the stuff that would go on with sponsorship and just stuff that was gnarly and stuff that honestly never even occurred to me because it's not my life. And I remember thinking like, what a complication, like you are. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's hard, you know, I will go and speak at a meeting and then I get a ton of people come up to me afterwards who are like, Oh my gosh, will you sponsor me? And I don't know if it's because I had a great message and I, and I, you know, they want what I've got as far as recovery, or they just want to say who their sponsor is. So, and and it's hard because then you feel like, well, how do I, how do I give, give my number out, stay connected, be in touch with, newcomers in the program without, you know, and, and, you know, there have been times when it's like, Oh, okay. Now I, you know, I see maybe it just feel, it doesn't feel right. Right. And usually I will, I will sponsor people who are like a friend of a friend or, you know, it's one of my dear friends in the program. That's like, this is a newcomer that I met and I, they specifically wanted to introduce me, stuff like that. But it is the whole different set of rules and circumstances and things that you come into the rooms with and, you know, I remember 
that, you know, one of the things that they always talk about in the rooms is, you know, oh, well, you know, alcoholics always think everyone's talking about them when they come into a room that they're, you know, they're, <laughs> and, right. Right. And, You're like, oh. and, and, and I was like, well, I, my entire life, every classroom I walked into every, like yeah. that was the case, not like in a way that it was, you know, I'm not, fucking yeah. I'm not saying that, but at the time when I was a kid or whatever, growing up or, yeah. you know, it's different. And so you do walk into a room and you hear whispers or people talk or, or you're, you know, you just know that you're more of a spectacle than other people. And so it doesn't, you, you're like, that's not true for me. That isn't my experience. That's not, yeah. you know, yeah. that's been different for me. And then you have to combat that with not allowing that to be the thing that you're Keeps doing you out. onto and yeah. goes like, well, you know, and that's the thing is that you have to find, you know, like, for me, I, I haven't been as comfortable on Zoom meetings. I've spoken at a few of them, fine, you know, but I've had to find other workarounds. Like, who are the people that I connect with in my sobriety? Right. Like, what, you know, and look to and rely on the the different areas of the program that I know, you know, sometimes you just have to emphasize certain things a little bit more than others. Yeah, I think it's the, you know, with everything that's gone on is so destabilizing. And I think, and it was actually something I was talking about with someone this morning about how we're all destabilized in different ways because our lives looked different, our sobrieties looked different. We had, maybe we had some of the same tools, but we probably use them differently. And we are going to have to find, given this situation, a new way to use those tools that works for us. And so whatever that looks like. So it makes complete sense that like, though that you wouldn't go specifically to, I mean, I'm sure that even in the LA meetings, you know, LA meetings. And there are the, and there are the meetings of people that I know, you know, it's just, it's, it's all finding what works and what's comfortable and what, you know, and I also, I mean, I went through a period where I wasn't there were only a couple of meetings that I really liked going to here in LA because I was going to a really um, ugly, tumultuous ex-boyfriend situation in the room. And I <laughs> just didn't feel safe in a lot of them. And so, yeah. you know, it's just, we all have to do those things that for whatever reason or another, we go like, okay, this is, it's a workaround. We have to, you know, you have to be able to be malleable in your sobriety in a way you have, you know what I mean? It's not always going to look a perfect way. And I, I used to really be guilty of that, you know, in multiple sobrieties where I would, if it didn't look perfect, it was like throwing, I just throw the baby out of the bathwater. Like, well, just I'd relapse or the whole thing would, you know, get screwed up. Cause it was like, well, I'm not doing it perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and my perfectionism was a huge barrier to me really living comfortably sober. Yeah. And that was the difference is I was sober, but I didn't know how to just relax into it. So it was like, if it wasn't perfect or if I didn't have all of the, you know, the right, the quote unquote, right things that you're supposed to have, then I just chucked everything. And I was like, well, I'm obviously not doing it right. And I think there's a, that oftentimes a lot of people feel that way in, in the program. And I think I've seen people with different kinds of sponsors and things like that. And I'm like, look, maybe you just need, maybe you need to be a little, you know, less hard on yourself. I mean, that for me in sobriety, that's been the thing that I've really had to grapple with was, is, is how incredibly critical I am of myself and how I let that get in the way of so much of my recovery or have in the past. Do you think, so I I read your book, which was awesome. And I wonder, you know, a bunch of 
things came up, but one of the things that you talked about was, which makes complete sense. You had a job as a kid, you know, you were work, you were working. I wonder if having to be in an environment where you're working for, you know, the network for, for a living as a kid and the being critical, being criticized was a part of the job. Right. And that's that kid. I mean, yeah. I think it's probably a lot of things. I think I, I mean, I've always suffered from anxiety and it's funny because as my anxiety has unfortunately gotten worse over the last couple of years of it, um, just as I don't know why, but it just has, uh, I don't know why this year it's things are going so great. Um, but, <laughs> totally. <laughs> but I've stopped and, uh, had to remember all of the things, you know, my, my, um, daughter has some anxiety issues and she was talking to me one day about how she felt like she could like, she just felt like she couldn't swallow. Right. Like she felt, and it, I had not remembered until she brought that up to me that at probably eight years old, I had the same thing and went to the doctor for it because I felt like I couldn't swallow, but anxiety wasn't a thing. And it certainly wasn't a thing that kids ever got diagnosed with, you know, yeah. 30 years ago. And I started really stopping and thinking about all of these very significant things in my life that were a result of an underlying anxiety yeah. that developed over my life. And I didn't know what that feeling was, but I knew that if everything was a certain way, it made that feel better. I knew if every, if I could just, if, you know, if my homework, if all the writing was really neat, if all the lines were really like, if, not, I'm not OCD. You know, I don't have that diagnosis, but I do know that my perfectionism is inextricably linked to my anxiety perfectionism. Like those two things just go together. And so when I feel like something isn't perfect, if I feel like, you know, whatever reason my, you know, fourth step doesn't, isn't the way it is or or, or the way it should be, or that I didn't, call my sponsor at 10 a.m. I called her, you know, I, I skipped a day or I, but you know, it used to be, those were the things that I was like, well, I'm just not, I'm just not doing this. So I might as well just give right. up because if I'm not going to do it perfect, then why do it at all? You know? And, um, and I, it, that, that has made, that has been something that I, you know, even, even now I talk to my boyfriend and he'll be like, that's, that's quite a list. Like what's on the other side of that? Like what's the good stuff on the other side of the list to balance that out? And I'm like, <laughs> There's what? another side. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's another list. That's right. Yes. Let hold on. Let me get back to you on that. <laughs> right. Right. Totally. You know? Yeah. It's. Um. I think it's one of the things that's kind of the you know the dichotomy, which is that when we're using and drinking to many people, we look like underachievers, losers, you know, lazy, whatever. But many of us are actually overachievers who cannot deal, who need some sort of substance to deal with the fact that we can't get it right. We can't get it perfect. Right. It's too much. Right. I mean, I think for most alcoholics, there is some sort of underlying anxiety. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Disorder. And, and anxiety is usually a control issue, you know what I mean? And so it makes sense that the more you are controlling external things in your environment, the more you're trying to keep the insides together. You know, I know for me, I used to struggle with leaving a dirty dish in the sink, which is great. These are great problems to have. I'm a very neat person, but when it literally keeps me up for 20 minutes trying to go to sleep because I'm thinking about what a failure I am because I haven't washed all the dishes right. today. Right. That is a very different 
reason. You know what I mean? It's not it, that that is the crux of that the self disappointment. I think that so much of our using hinges on, which is I want to be the best, and if I can't be the best, I'll be the worst. Right. Right. Yeah. That's how I. That's exactly how that, I. I mean, that yeah, was for sure. That was exactly what I thought. Yep. I was like, well, I'm not like I don't want to be perfect because everyone had this weird assumption that I, you know, because I was on TV and because I was that like I thought I was better than everyone. Right. So my thing was like, well, I'm not going to be perfect. I'm going to be so opposite of that. Yeah, the best worst. So it, and it was this weird sense of like owning my identity. Yeah. You know, it was like, well, if this is the identity that you want me to have. I'm going to have one that's all on my own. And, you know, the same thing with like making good decisions for myself for a very long time. It was, you know, it was, I didn't want to make the right decision because that was the decision my mom would make. And I want to make my own decision, you know, which is a very teenage thing to do, but also a very alcoholic thing to do. Like I will cut off my nose to spite my face because you. you know? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, it was funny because so my mom loves Hallmark movies, right? Like she just, oh, she's uh-huh. like, and I always tease her because I watch a Hallmark movie, right? And I, in my head, like I've been working in the mental health, behavioral health. I've been, you know, sober, getting sober, whatever for so long that like I watch that and I'm inserting like, yeah, but he has this issue and this is what's going on behind it. And da 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 And so like, I can't even, I can't watch something that's that clean and not see, like, I'm like, this is sick. This is what's going on. They're all pretending everything's okay. You know, so I I give, right. Do you guys talk about that? We totally, I mean, you know, everyone's like the, and, and, and Hallmark, I mean, we're done a Hallmark movie, you know, and you are very self-aware of what it is. It, it, it's very much like Full House and Fuller House. It's very much like a sitcom in that. There's going to be some hiccups, but nothing like, you know, how it's going to end. You know that you're not going right. to get to the end of the movie and right. be like, oh, they broke. He killed her. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's, not, <laughs> that's never going to totally. happen yeah. in a sitcom or a, a Hallmark movie. Like nothing right. Right. jarring, upsetting. Is good. It is like yep. comfort food for right. television. Right, right. You know, but it's true. I am, I, you know, and I always laugh because I am you know, my mom always is like, something's wrong with you. Cause I am a much darker. I don't really watch comedy at all. I watch really dark documentaries, yeah, um, like true crime, yep, yep. like, yeah, the sick, news, the sick shit. let me just right politics, yeah. but like politics, you know, just all of that. Like I need, I'm like, I don't want to entertain my brain with fluff. Like I want something I need to focus on. And so it's really funny because I you you act know, what I watch and yeah. what I do. That's art could not be could further apart. Different. Yeah, that was what I, I was I was laughing about because I was like, oh my god, she's on Hallmark. Like she's like. I'm reading the book giggling to myself because like I totally relate to so much of it, right? And and then I'm like, she managed to find roles that were literally like the world gave you this identity and your and everything behind the scenes was like, I am not that girl. I'm not that girl. But what's funny that I thought was funny was that you went back to Hallmark sober. So like you, you went back right. to it. And- well, you know, it it's funny because that for me, you know, was a huge, that was actually a really big statement and, and gift for me because after I wrote my book and after you know, I talked about getting sober and relapsing and, you know, speaking publicly and relapsing and doing all that. You know, I had really struggled with being able to come back yeah. from that and be having people be willing to to let that 
be the past and be, right. you know, however many, God, 10, over a decade ago. And it took a really long time for that to happen. It took a really long time for that not to be the first question that I get asked. It took a really long time to be able to do a Hallmark movie yeah. and be asked do something like that and so when they I, I like that for me I was like okay I finally you've shed it at least not I, I shed it enough to a place where it's still something that's important about and that I can talk about but that it is not the only thing that people talk yeah about yeah in that must have felt wonderful everything it was great and it's great and it is you know it's still I mean trust me I still get asked about it I you know no matter how much I will be out promoting you know Fuller House uh, or a Hallmark movie or whatever, and they get told, like, we're, you know, obviously don't bring that up. Like, they do anyway, and then I just sit and stare at them awkwardly because um, I'm making someone feel awkward. Uh, so, you know, it's still there, but it's no longer the prominent Yeah, yeah, thing. yeah. And, and that was always the thing that I wanted so desperately was that, look, my sobriety and this journey is a piece of me, but it's not all of me. Right. It doesn't define everything. It's not the end-all, be-all of who I am. And it was really hard and really frustrating to feel like I couldn't get out from under that and feel like, you know, you're constantly being reminded of who you were and what, and nobody really lets you move forward and and succeed because they just want to keep going. Yeah. But let's talk about the real fucked up stuff, you know? And I don't, like I said, you know, I love doing, I love sharing my recovery and I love doing all that, but there's like, there's just differentiations between like, if I'm, you know, you don't want to only if be I'm talking that. recovery, then I'm talking recovery, yeah. but I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that's been a Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you started full house when you were, we well, started reading at four. Five. So, okay. So. Uh, I started reading at about two and a half. At two. I, um, yeah, I, um, oh, you were I fully reading at four. That's I right. Went right into yeah, I but I could. I mean, you could set down pretty much anything in front of me by the time uh, I hit my third birthday, and I could read. I and mean, we have videos of me like my mom would just set adult books down, and I could read. That's amazing. Stuff. So they always knew I was bright and smart and loved to excel and succeed and do all that. And um, so yeah, I started doing you know commercials and stuff and fun print work and dance recitals and stuff like that when I was three years old because that I just loved performing. So I was like, oh well give you an outlet for it, you know, but it, yeah, it quickly became something much greater than any of us had bargained for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's awesome. And it comes, obviously comes with all its complications. Yeah. But I was fortunate though, in that the set and the people that I grew up around could not have been more normal in that regard. You yeah. know what I mean? It wasn't, it didn't, it wasn't like a Hollywood yeah, yeah. set. It was like a very, down-to-earth family. So I do feel like, thank God, that was the experience that I had. I know that not everyone has that experience, but I and all the other kids on that show had, I mean, we were loved and supported and our producers and, you know, we were taken care of. We were not exploited and used and, you know, they made sure that our well-being was paramount. Not like the classic child star kind of deal. Not at all, which is really, you know, and people always ask me that, like, you know, do you think it was because you were a child star that you were an alcoholic? And my response is always, no, not in my situation at all. Like I, I mean, you have read my book, so you know about, you know, I was adopted and I have a very, very strong biological predisposition to alcoholism and addiction. And, you know, I had a whole other set of circumstances that would have affected me. And I think I would have struggled with, you know, drugs and alcohol 
regardless, it's just that nobody would have known about it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, kind of, like like the rest of us who, who struggled. <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so do you, when did you find out you were adopted or when did they, how did that, how did they tell you? My, I always knew. I mean, my parents, I always knew. They always told oh, me yeah, that you know, you I was picked for right. them, that I was special, that I, you know, that they welcomed me in their hearts, but, you know, not my mom's tummy and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I think when I was about uh, like 11 or 12 was when they told me kind of the whole story about my, you know, my parents' background and just some of the more traumatic, darker stuff that was kind of the first 14 months of my life that I, you know, I have no memory of, but I know that they still have, you know, deep seated effects on me, which is interesting when you start thinking like, why do I have attachment issues? Oh, wait. Right, right. <laughs> you know, that's so weird. I grew up with a great family and all these wonderful connections and relationships. Like, why do I, what is that thing for me? I'm like, oh, this is that, you know, nature nurture thing of there will always be certain things that I'm working on overcoming that I don't even realize that are, are struggles. There's a great book called The Body Keeps the Score and it. I'm sure you've heard of it. I just bought oh. it. Uh, my boyfriend just recommended yep. it. And yeah, I and I just watched the Daryl Hammond mm-hmm. story mm-hmm. in which he, that the doctor's in it and they talk about a lot about that. And uh, yeah, it's, I actually picked it up today. I was like, I need to start reading this. But yeah, it's really interesting how our bodies hold on to information. So many yeah, things. yeah, it's really mm-hmm. interesting. How, how long? So I read the book. So it took us to 2009 when you were getting yeah. sober and struggling to get sober. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's how yeah. long? Or how long? When did you get? That's well. I I had gotten sober. I uh, my sobriety date is March 23rd, 2011. I had gotten and stayed sober and was right in 2011 I got in a car accident and was prescribed muscle relaxers which I had never thought were a fun thing because I'd never taken them and then I realized that I was just not being honest about when I was taking them how many I was taking and you know within like two weeks and I went oh shit so that was why I changed my date and restarted it you know it was I always tell people it wasn't it wasn't the worst by far relapse or, you know, anything I'd have, but it was, it was, a, a that realization of like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That one, that's on the list too. <laughs> throw it in there. Yeah. Just throw it in no, there. Yeah. yeah. Just staying honest. I mean, you get to a certain point you're like, whatever it takes to stay sober, I'll do. So if I have to, you, it, it's there, it's, there's clarity in it. So since 2011 and what is it like to get so like me getting sober, I was a fucking hot mess. Like I was not, I acted at like just, I mean, detoxing, whatever, but then like acting out early sobriety, like just like just hot mess express just in general, like not something I would want pictures of cameras of whatever, like how, and falling on my face and, and lie, doing things I, I did while I was using, doing them sober and being embarrassed. Like sober, right. how do you how do you get sober while people are watching you <laughs> or are you used to it? Maybe I'm used yeah. to it. So that's part of it is that I, there's a part of me that's just like, well, just, you that's know, I, I, everything that I've had to do in my life has been in public for one reason or another, whether it's, you know, marriages, divorces, having kids, getting sober, going to school, going, you know, whatever, right. whatever all. it is. Um, it's all out there, but you know, I, 
it, it depends on which sobriety you ask me about. Okay. Which is more of it. You know what I mean? When I went to treatment, I was a fucking nightmare. You know what I mean? I was, it was awful. I was, I was a disaster. I was also 22 and young and had never been to treatment and never really, you know, I had gotten sober before, but never really done a lot of the work. And then, you know, and then you go to treatment and then you're like, Oh wait, new friends. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're a mess. And you know, that it was around that time that it came out. Somebody, uh, at the treatment center that I was at, I don't know if it was a client or staff member had sold out that I was in passages and they, uh, yeah. And they had shown up there to take pictures and do, you know, all kinds of stuff. So that was when I was like, okay, well, you know, I guess I get to do this publicly. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, that was the hard thing was like, I, I had hoped that I could just go through this privately but, you know, if anything, having to do all of this publicly and having to make some of those mistakes and have people critique them or, you know, judge me for them or whatever has made me, I think, that much stronger, yeah. particularly now in that, you know, if somebody wants to talk shit about me or how I'm living my life or my sobriety or this or that, like, what, like I don't, cool, go, bye. You know what I mean? Like, if it's, if you want to talk shit, that's fine. Then go for it. But I don't have to let that determine what it looks like, what my life looks right. like. You know, I, just because someone says it doesn't mean it has true, to be true. Right. And I tell my kids that all the time and I forget to, you know, use it myself where it's like, just because, you know, an ex is talking shit or saying something or selling a story or doing something dumb, like that doesn't have to be my truth. Right. Their truth doesn't have to be your truth. Doesn't have to be my truth. And so, you know, I just had to get real clear on like, my own value system and my own, you know, my own business and my own side of the street and remember what's my side of the street. And also that other people don't get to come and clean my side of the street either. Just like, I don't get to do it to other people. Like I don't need you in my side's clean. I got it. Thank you very much. Go over there. You know what I mean? So, you know, it, but it's, it's never easy. Yeah. It's never easy to have people feel and, and to feel not only that they talk shit, because, you know, we all talk, I mean, whatever, we're humans, but to feel that they are entitled to an opinion yeah. that they get to share publicly because of what you do for a living, that somehow you, that's just, you, you invite that into your life and that you don't get to have an opinion on them saying anything. You know? Is there, was there ever, is there ever, was there ever a place where, like, you know, the people I know who are artists, musicians, you know, performers, like that's who they are. It's not even what they do for a living. It's who they are. And, and I wonder, you know, is there ever a time where you, you've thought to yourself, like maybe, you know, obviously you're probably too deep in <laughs> to, to back out, but is there ever a time where you've thought like, I don't know if, I don't know if the trade-off of being able to perform at this level was worth what I got with it. Not now. I mean, I did, I walked away, I worked in treatment for about six years. Oh, okay. So I, I had kind of walked away from the business. I went back to school. I got my KDAC and then I started working. I started working as a tech, okay. you know, yeah. 10 bucks an hour, bottom, bottom rung job and, um, worked my way up and worked, uh, my way up into, you know, running operations departments, being the director of operations for some fairly large scale facilities that are course not around now but yeah I definitely had uh walked away from the business and loved what I did I worked in treatment I loved it it was fun 
it was insane. It had sort of that same level of chaos and and interesting cast of characters as entertainment in a way. Yeah. So that for me was appealing. But working in treatment for a number of years, I, it was the first time I'd ever really. Well, that wasn't the first time. I had I when I went to college, I got my undergrad degree in elementary education, so I was going to be a teacher and had worked, you know, at an after school program and stuff for a little while. Um, but this was my first real like, okay, this is what I do now permanently right. for, you know, a number of years. And it's always, you know, it's always the thing that if at some point in 25 years, I would want, I, what I want to be doing in, you know, 20 years is directing, writing, producing, still acting, right. but really moving uh, into some of the behind the scenes stuff. Or if it all falls apart, then I would go back to school and become a therapist because I really love working with clients and, and doing that. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And, and you'd be great at all of it and such a varied experience. I mean, so, I, I, yeah, sorry. It's nice to feel like I learned some things about myself before coming back to this business that I learned like, okay, I am capable of doing other things. Cause I didn't know if I was, I mean, that was the biggest question yeah. I think when I started working in other fields was, do I even know how to do this? I've done, I've been a performer since I was young. Like, do I know how to have a real job? And I do. I'm fine. I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm not an idiot. So I, you know, I figured it out. But yeah, I walking back into that and having kind of lost everything and lost all the financial outside shiny stuff mm-hmm. and had to really start over at the bottom. Now coming back to working in this business and, and getting some of those, you know, the cash and prizes things back that they talk about in sobriety, I have a much different appreciation for it. And also a much different knowledge that I can be okay with or without it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. How, so one of the things you talked about in the book was the struggle with relationships and, and, you know, obviously having that experience, you know, attachment issues and all that stuff was, is going to be a huge piece of it. You had, I think the relationship that you, in the book that you ended with was Zoe's dad, but you left that you where you were leaving Zoe's dad. Right. Yeah. He and I split when I was writing the book. And several years later, I, I had gotten married again to uh, I, to B's dad. I, um, I have both my girls have different dads. Um, but he and I had gotten married and were married for a couple of years. And then that didn't happen either or didn't, you know, didn't continue. But I definitely, you know, and then I went through just a relationship with a lot of drama. And I think I had to do all of that and learn all of those things and fall on my face and learn my own strengths, particularly the last few years for me have been a place of really finding out a lot of my own inner strengths. And then in finding out those things and finding out how I am okay on my own, like it's just made all the difference in the world for finding and being able to actually keep and participate in a really healthy relationship. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I didn't, that I didn't know that that was, I was like, Oh, okay. This is how you do it. And I also, you know, have picked someone who has done a lot of work and really come a long way. And so I, I have that with somebody that we both come to the table as wanting to help the other person, you know, and, and that was something I think I was always great at finding people in relationships that I would take care of. And I had to really look at a lot of those things and look at why and look at the power dynamic that it created and what I, what I got out of it and ask myself those really uncomfortable questions of what is this doing for me and why and 
and that self-honesty that you have to look at when you go like, ew, I don't like me right yeah. now. <laughs> totally. <laughs> gross. Totally. Right. Stay tuned to hear more in just a moment. Hi, it's Ashley, your beloved host. When I'm not hosting the Courage to Change a Recovery podcast, I'm running the recruiting department at Lion Rock Recovery. We are always looking for amazing licensed mental health counselors, along with various other sales and operations positions that pop up from time to time. The Lion Rock culture is one of collaboration, support, and flexibility. Our employees work from home offices all over the country, utilizing technology to connect to one another. We are always hiring. So if you want to have the best job ever, check out our open positions and apply at www.lionrockrecovery.com backslash about backslash careers. So did you do a lot of that work? Like, I'm sure it was a combination, but did you do a lot of that work that like kind of when you were talking about soul, like finding yourself and being alone, did you do more of that work in therapy or 12 steps or like, was it a, you know, both? it was a combination. I did, I, I did a lot of it in 12 steps. One, I, I went back and started redoing a woman's way through the 12 steps, which yeah, uh, love it. is such a great thing for me. And I actually use that a lot with, um, sponsees just because I find that it is for a lot of women, we have a, a whole entirely different set of trauma and self-hatred that comes with it. And I find that that particular book and, and way to work the steps is a little more gentle and soft and nurturing. And it just really helped me. So I, you know, I've done that, but therapy was huge for me and I should probably go back because, you know, quarantine is definitely bringing up some fun things. Uh, <laughs> as you, you know, get to sit in your home all the time. You're like, Oh, Oh, that's crazy. Hello. Uh, but therapy for sure. And, you know, I, I took this really amazing trip to Thailand and Japan around the time I had gone through, like I said, this last really ugly ba- breakup several years ago. And we were shooting, we were going to go shoot in Japan and we were going to be there for like 20 days. And I said, you know what? I've got time before I'm taking myself on a solo trip to Thailand. And I'd never traveled by myself before. I'd never been out of the country before. And I did a whole 10 day trip in Thailand by myself. And I, you know, went to an elephant sanctuary and which was something that I'd always wanted to do. And I got to touch these amazing creatures and I traveled and I, you know, went to the night markets and the street fairs and the, you know, I did all of these things on my own in this completely foreign country. And I, I'm sure that there were times that people thought I was crazy because I would just like burst into laughter because I was so full of joy in a way that I hadn't been before, like joy and freedom in a way that I hadn't had before, that it was, I always say was a, an, it was a life changing trip and experience for me. And it's, you know, it sounds so cheesy because it's like fucking eat, pray, love or whatever the hell it is, <laughs> which I never read or watched because I hate those kind of movies. So to even be like, I had like a magical trip, man. Like, I just want to punch myself in the face, but be that as it may, it was a magical life changing trip. And I found a comfort 
in my own skin that I hadn't had before. Yeah. It's funny that you say that. I never thought of that, but I did the same thing. And it, like when you said that, I went to Barcelona by myself and I remember it was so empowering. Particularly, There's something about it also being a foreign country and a different language. It was so empowering. I remember thinking like just going to the grocery store and carrying my groceries by myself, like even though that's stupid, not like anyone carried my groceries anyway before, but there was... Right, but there was something about it. Like I went yeah, to a place... Like, I did for it. For me, particularly in Thailand, it was like I went somewhere. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I can't read a sign. Yep. I don't can't speak a language. Like I had a guide at times that was with me, but there were a lot of times that I was like, no, I just want to go do this on my own. It's empowering. And I did it and it was awesome. And I, I highly recommend. Yes, I agree. You know, that, that at some point in every woman's life, go take a trip somewhere on your own. Even if it's not like, it doesn't have to be a foreign country. Go camping by yourself yeah. for a week. Like go safely. Yeah, obviously. just don't go to, maybe uh, not in like <laughs> Afghanistan or right. Morocco, but like, you know. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Or, you know, don't go camping like with, by yourself without, you know, I don't, anyway. <laughs> What I'm saying is it's an incredibly empowering experience. And my friend gave me the book, Cheryl Strayed. Yes. Why can't I think of the name um, of it right now? Yes. She, it was called... About her hiking the PCT. Yes. Oh my God. Wait, I'm... What? That's going to kill me. What the hell is the book called? Cheryl Strayed. It is what it, called... Uh, wild. Like one wild. word. I want to... Wild. I'm like, it's one yes. word. One table. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> and my friend was like, I think you should read this before you go on your trip. I did. And I discovered two things. One, that I never want to go on a long-term hiking trip, <laughs> but uh, also that I got the, the same experience. It was this, that same sort of, I don't know if I can do this. It's a little bit scary. I, I don't know what's going on. And yet moments of being so full of like joy and, and success and like this feeling of like, I did this. I did this. I remember driving back to the hotel I was staying at, which was this few, I had this amazing, like my own Thailand's dirt cheap. What you get there for what you pay for is like unreal. And I was in this little tuk-tuk going back to my hotel. And those are like the little things that are on the back of like a, like a motorcycle, but they're like a little carriage looking thing, you know? And we're like bobbing and weaving through the streets of Chiang Mai at, 11 o'clock on a Friday night and there's people and it's warm and it's humid and the smell and like everything. And I, I'll never forget. I remember I started like laugh crying because I was, and I was like, you're so lame. But I was like, this is, I was, I didn't know what to even name that feeling, but it was awesome. Yeah. It was awesome. And it was such a sense of freedom and just like peace. Yeah. And that, and I hadn't had that night and I, it changed a lot of things for me. I still had a lot of stuff to go through over the next couple of years, but it really, I look at that trip for me as the starting point of a very new way in which I treated myself. It's also interesting to think about from the perspective of you can't be a perfection, you can't be perfect at going on a trip, an international trip by yourself. Like there's no, your perfectionism because there's no right. perfect way to do it. And so you're right. kind of and I have free. To- and it's also that thing of where I've, I've had to do that in a lot of areas, like you said, tra- and I, you know, I travel by myself a fair amount shooting Hallmark movies. They're all in Canada. So I, you know, go to all over the place, but I found the love of doing that after that trip. And I, I just think it's so important for people to 
shed that, you know, like you said, that perfectionism and go and, you know, whenever you're traveling by yourself, I have to remind myself, like, I don't have to have it all together right now. Like, stop, ask for help, regroup, look, you know, like it slow down because my tendency and I have done, I've had, you know, sponsors yell at me about it. I've, I've yelled at myself about it is like, stop trying to look like you always know what you're doing. Well, there's no script, right? It's okay. (laughs) Right. But it's okay. Like, it's okay. Yeah. Okay. Like I, oh my God, I'm lost. I don't know. I came out of the subway on the run or I'm trying to, you know, if I, when I go visit my boyfriend in New York, I remember I was taking the subway back somewhere and I don't take it all the time. I have a couple routes that I knew what to do, but this one I had to transfer. And that's what always screws me up as a transfer. And I realized that I could ask for help. What a fucking novel idea. Right. All of, but you know, it 30, is a novel idea. 30 years of my life. Right. 30 years of my life. I never was like, maybe I should go to the little kiosk and be like, hey, I'm looking for this train. How do I find it? But no, my head told me I asked for help and I don't know how to figure this out on my own. Then obviously I'm. That, but then like, I'm not capable. Right. You know, and that was what, so it was like this belief system need for self-determination yeah. because I don't know. I, I, I would just, I think, you know, we all have alcoholics in particular. I have a hard time asking for help and I, and I, it's ego, it's fear, it's perfectionism. You know, there's so many things that I have had a much better time of letting go of, Yeah, you know, and I still struggle. I don't get me wrong. I'm by no means a, picture of perfect mental health. Um, <laughs> but I do know some solution right. and I do know, I know what to do, even if at the moment I might not be doing it. Right. Totally. I know. That's the story of my life. <laughs> right. Right. I'm like, just give me a minute. I'm going to get the solution. I just need to have this. Recap. Totally. going to get there. Yeah. So you talk about in the book, you talk about you know, leaving full house and obviously so much has changed from leaving full house in terms of what happened with all your, your co-stars and what, which directions they went in. And then, so then you get the opportunity to do fuller house. What was it like to do that? And did you like, did it feel like a second chance or was it just like, Oh, this is cool to hang out with these people? Oh, it was, it was all of that. It was definitely a second chance. It was, you know, I was going to meetings, pitching that show with Candace and Andrea and John Stamos and our executive producers. We were, you know, pitching it to different networks, Netflix and all this stuff while I'm working in treatment. So I'm, you know, <laughs> Love it. pitching this long shot of an idea of a TV show, but I'm like having to take off work to do right. it. You know, and there were a couple of meetings. I was like, I can't make it. Like, I've got a bit, you know, I have a team meeting, I have a treatment team meeting, or I've got this, or like, I can't, I can't leave. You know, so it's just funny to, that I, I was sort of in this mindset of like, look, it would be awesome. Yeah. If it but I'm happy where I am, but it, you know, I will put my effort into that as well and see where it goes. But it definitely felt like a second chance because it was after that started happening, um, you know, just a lot more opportunities came. Yeah. Yeah. The hard thing about this business is that, when you're not working, it may, you know, people are like, oh, but what are you doing right now? And you're like, well, I'm not working, which is why I want this, a job so that I can start working so that I, and then they're like, right, but what? So it's this weird catch right. 22 of like, if you're not working, you're not going to yeah. work because they don't, they want to find either someone totally unknown or someone that's hot. Like there's no middle ground. Oh, that's interesting. So it was a wonderful opportunity to have that door open again yeah. because I got to come back with such a different mindset, with a mindset of 
not that I ever took it for granted, but just, oh, I, I get to have all these fun opportunities again that I didn't think would ever come back. Yeah. You know, I thought like, I mean, I never thought in a million years we'd show again. It was definitely weird coming back to that and feeling like I had sort of jumped from one world into another. You know, so you had to you had to really separate like and which frankly is completely understand. I was reading this going, oh, my God, I, how do you like as a kid, like the complexity of what you went through is insane in terms of identity crisis. I mean, we're all trying to figure out who we are always. And, you know, you have this added layer. So you had to really pull Jody out and separate Stephanie from Jody for so long. Now you're right. back doing that. How does, is that right. in ever like say, confusing? No, I always say Stephanie and I are very, they, you know, I they took a lot of who I was and made Stephanie. Okay. Okay. So it was, it, you know, a lot of who I was as a kid really influenced who Stephanie was. Thus, when I came back as an adult, they really were wonderful at listening to us and what, where we saw the characters having gone and having, you know, changed and all of that. But, you know, when I was 13 and the show ended, I was, I was going through this, I mean, I was going through a really struggling time anyway, because, you know, I was coming to terms with my adoption around 13, 14. It was a couple years after I'd found out the whole story. And, and there was, you know, a lot of stuff that I talk about in the book about you know, I, I had gotten very ill as an infant. I had been found, you know, in, in an abandoned garage. And I had, you know, all this kind of stuff that was pretty traumatic. And so at 13 or 14, I started having that thing that a lot of adoptees go through, which is, okay, I'm not, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm a reflection of the people who are raising me, but I'm not a reflection of these people I don't know. So what is that? I don't know how much of it is, is biological parents how much of it is my parent parents and who am I and do I want to be either one of them or do I want to reject both of them or you know I realized that a big part of my drinking and using that I think started at that age was because a huge portion of all that I knew about them was that they were addicts and alcoholics and it was like weird connection of if they were I am. right I want to be some I want to be someone for it but what is I want to be someone and then at that same time, the someone that I was on TV was suddenly, I suddenly wasn't a working actor anymore. And I also wasn't Stephanie, but I wanted to be Jody, but I didn't know who that person right. was. So there was like all of these pieces of, I didn't really know yeah. who I was. And so I was, I would just go along with whoever you told me you wanted right. to be. Sure. I'll be that person. I could be a chameleon and I'm still very good at sort of floating in between, you know, vastly different social groups because I know how I like, I can be not that I'm now being disingenuous, but I just, there's yeah. all these different facets of who I am. And, uh, I think at that young age in particular, I really had no idea what direction I like who I was. There was no grounding sense of identity, which is completely understandable given all the things. Right. And now, you know, and now coming back as an adult, like I said, coming back and having gone through a period of my life where I lost all of yep. the, the fancy outside stuff and was just a normal person. When you then come back into this business, it, there's just this like appreciation for things that I go, you know what? 
I can sit here and throw a hissy fit about some stupid thing that's not happening on set right now, or I can realize that this isn't the end all be all of everything and whatever it can be fine. And I'm a pretty easygoing passive person anyway. So that, that perspective of what's really, truly important and that I'm here and yes, I'm doing a job and I will give it 100% and commit to it. But at the end of the day, it's okay. Like not, you know, I don't need to, we're, we're not, I always say like, we're not curing cancer. We're just making television shows. It's going to be okay. We're, you know, this is not life or death. And I've worked in life or death. I've flipped clients over who are, you know, I've seen them seizing out in the middle of family day and having, you know, I've done that stuff. And that to me, I go, yeah, that's, that's life or death. This is, this is fun and it's awesome. And I'll give it a hundred percent. But that perspective, I think changed things, you know, how does, parenting fit into like I guess this is a two-part question one is would you if your daughters obviously if your daughters were into wanting to be actresses would that be something that you support and my youngest daughter does okay she does okay she very much does uh my older one not so much she is more into sports and friends right now so anything I suggest right uh (laughs) but she was never that that was never her thing she she did a couple she did a little guest appearance on the show one time, like playing one of Max's friends or whatever. She is not the one that wants to like perform and do all that. She loves it and she's great at it. And she actually did her school play and stuff like that. But I, she's not the one that's like, I want to be on stage. My younger one is, but she doesn't have, I think sometimes that's the personality traits that it takes to succeed in this business as a kid, which is, you show up and you do it even if you're sick, even if you have a fever, even if you don't yeah. feel like it, even if your friends are doing something yeah. else, even if something sounds more fun or you want to sleep in or whatever, it doesn't matter. And I know that as much as she wants to perform and do this, I have to find other avenues for her right. rather than the professional avenue right now, just because I don't see some of the things that I think she's quite there yet. But I also want her to explore that and have it be something that she loves, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But it's also hard, you know, as a, you know, working parent in this business, it's, you know, it's hard to take kids to auditions and do all that kind of stuff too. And, you know, so we'll see. Yeah. She goes back and forth. And every once in a while I tell my agent, I'm like, all right, fine. Just send her out an audition. Uh, but then I'm like, no, she needs a, you know, a headshots and a this and a that, you know, all this stuff. I'm like, oh, I, it's, that's a lot. <laughs> You know, my mom was yeah. with me all the time every day. So that was what she did full time. But, um, you know, I don't have that luxury necessarily. Oh, yeah. I looked into uh, when the twins were born, I looked into people, you know, were like, oh, you know, you should, you know, whatever. And I and and I thought, oh, man, I'll look. I have no idea what that is and for commercials or what have you. And and then I, I basically was like, wait, 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 wait. this is a that, they're not working. I'm working like <laughs> You're working. I don't have time are, for this. Yeah, the, the parent that has to go with them yeah. is working. Yeah, and it's, it's a full job. Um, so she does, yeah, she, I mean, she is a singer and a performer. She loves music and all that. So she's been involved in a lot of stuff like that. But, you know, then I also see her, I'm like, okay, you have your, you know, whatever. And she's like, I don't want to. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's the, you know, I, and I get it. And I don't want to take that ability away from her. Right. She can always focus on this as a career, but you can't always be just be yeah, kids. so true you know and I know yeah that. so I I will support her in if that's what she wants to do or go to a performing arts school and middle school high school whatever like do all of that great but if there are still more times than not that my kids just want to be kids want to relax and do nothing then 
that's what we're going to yeah, do. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find, I mean, one thing that I'm, one thing that has happened for me is I, I call it postpartum sobriety because, right. <laughs> because my sobriety is since becoming a mom is is different. It's it. I new yeah. issues came up that I thought I had put to rest. Um, I'm faced with, you know, how to talk about like for I, mine is a little, you know, nothing like yours. However, my story is out there and there, you know, there are podcasts and there's, there's a book and there's this and that. And I wonder like, okay, so how do I talk about this without encouraging it or, or showing that, oh, it's okay, mommy lived through it or, you know, all the different questions right. that come along. How do you, how are you dealing with some of those things? And do your kids ask you questions? Do you have conversations about it? Yeah, we have conversations about it. My kids ask about it. I mean, my kids have always known that I've gone to meetings. They know that I, you know, that I'm, I, I don't drink. They, as my old, as they're getting older, it's, Obviously led to some more conversations. I was just talking about this the other day about how much I realize that the principles of the 12 steps influence my parenting in a very, very huge way. And I, I don't even know that my kids realize, well, of course they don't because they've never sat in a meeting, but the amount of program and, you know, spiritual principles and knowledge that they have been exposed to just simply by having a parent that's in the program, you know, should they ever need to find a seat themselves, I think a lot of what they've been raised by, they will find is already in there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But it is hard to talk about, you know, and it's hard to, I don't want to glorify it, but at the same time, you know, look, I, like you said, the book's out there, like the kids, kids are going to read it. They get nosy. They want to know who their parents are and were. And you know, I, I always tell my kids, look, there's a lot of things I've done I'm, that I'm not proud of, but they've also given me a lot of life experience that I use to try and help you not make the same mistakes. But I also am very honest with my kids and tell them like, look, I can give you all the tools in the world, but if you don't pick them up and use them, then it doesn't matter. But this is, this is on you. This is your responsibility. And that's where we're at right now. I think like the 10 and 12 year old is we're really hitting that idea of being responsible for your own actions and consequences. And it sucks. You know, we don't like to learn that as adults and like learning it for the first time as a kid when you're like, oh, you, you know, downloaded some stuff you weren't supposed to on your phone. Now you don't have a phone, but it's the pandemic, but you knew you weren't supposed to and you did it anyway. So like, and that's a hard thing too right now is this, you know, parenting in a pandemic where you're like, I have to take the phone. It's literally the only thing that hurts like that, that has any sort of impact, but I feel so awful doing it that most of the time I give it back an hour after I take it, you know, cause I'm like, like they don't have, yeah, yeah. It's right. But, but I do try and like, let those principles guide me in my parenting and try and be patient and all this stuff. And, you know, look, the last month has not been pretty around here. We, it's, it's been, it's, we've all been an emotional basket case, you know, and, and it's not going well. But the thing that I do do, that I do do, that I do is that I've learned in this program is that I apologize immediately after I lose it immediately after I do something and I tell them, I lost my patience. This is not the kind of person I want to be an example of for you guys. Yeah. And I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, because I think it's really important that kids 
hear that their parents grew up. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, talking about sort of my whole point in that was is talking about the, you know, human condition, even in your, as a parent where you're like, look, I screw up. I make mistakes. I've done a lot of stupid things. When I tell you things, it's not because I'm making them up. Right. It's because right. I have this experience, you know? You become and I also say too, like there were things that my mom told me that scared the shit out of me. My mom was very, you know, straight edge and whatever, but you know, she had friends in the sixties in high school and there were things that I was terrified to do because my mom told me, you know, the one time that her friend dropped acid or whatever, and she, you know, lost her mind, you know, that, that was, that there were those stories. So I'm like, I don't want to tell my kids stories to scare them, but I also want them to know that I am not an idiot and I am very aware of the dangers right. that are out there. So when I say that something's unsafe, it's not because I'm trying to be lame mom. It's because I've done a lot of unsafe shit. And yeah, that's for personal experience. It doesn't always end well. These are, this is yeah. earned knowledge. I had to tell my daughter this the other day about some stuff on the internet. I had, I lost it at her and I, and then I had to stop really in the middle of it. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm not mad. I'm scared. Yeah. 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 I'm scared for you right now. And I don't mean to, I I'm going to, I'm sorry that I'm yelling. I'm not meaning to be like that, but I'm just uh, upset. And it led to a conversation between her and I and me saying like, look, I've been through some shit. I've seen some things, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and she, and, and it resonated I think a little bit differently because I didn't try to deny that I had done some scary and dangerous things, but that I was speaking from a place of experience. And I think sometimes kids think that their parents have no experience. I think that was why there were a lot of times I didn't listen to my mom. So I was like, you don't even know. You so weren't cool. You didn't do any cool shit. You know, and I think in being able to tell my kids, like, look, I'm speaking from experience. I'm not speaking from a place of like, this sounds like a bad idea. This is a bad idea. <laughs> and here's why. Here's why. Here, yeah. And here's my experience with it. And here's my experience. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and it was the, like this look went over a face of like, oh, oh, you know. Right. Like you're not just telling me, but like you, right. you know, right. Le- that legitimate, you know, and then it was very vague, you know, but I think she knew enough of what we were talking right. about that it was impactful. And I think that's the thing is like, it's just being honest with them and being like, look, I, I have experience. I'm not, you know, I'm not a sheltered little person. <laughs> I like to say I used to be cool. <laughs> I used to, yeah, my parents or my kids are like, yeah, no, you I was like, but I was. I know. I'm already telling my kids that they don't even know what that means or what it's happening. I'm, no, I'm so not cool. These it's days. really painful. But now I use that to my advantage and just try and embarrass them. So I'm like, well, oh, if you guys don't think I'm cool anyway, even though I know I am, um, you guys aren't think I'm not cool. I'm just gonna oh, embarrass sure. you and dance. That's how. That's what makes parent all the bullshit worth it, right? I mean, like just annoying them or or, or embarrassing them. It, that's oh, yeah. how I get through I it. Yeah, yeah. I try and annoy my kids. At least once it's a day. Very, just it's very, it's very gratifying. Yeah, 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 you have to. It really yeah, is. yeah, you have to, for sure. Mm-hmm. Are, have you guys dealt with any, um, or have you had to talk to, I mean, I'm sure you have, that it talk, had to at least talk about it, was, um, people stalking or people contacting them, and have you had people contact them? Yeah, we had, no, but we had to go through some stuff a few years ago that made some of those things very clear, so... I can't get into too much detail, yeah, yeah. but, uh, yeah, no, they're, they're aware. They know, uh, my security team. Well, you know, yeah. it's their uncle. 
That's what they call him. And they know that if anything he ever says to them in a moment of crisis, they absolutely are 100% believe. Good, good. That's really good. I know. But they're still dumb. So <laughs> they still do things on the internet that I'm like. You're like, yeah, that's part of that. That's part, right. That's, yeah. Yes. Still, <laughs> still applies. Still bad mm-hmm. idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is. I mean, that, that's scary for them, you know? Yeah. And so it's like having to have a conversation without being scary, but without, with also reminding right. them that, you know, like I had said, you know, people know who you are. Yeah. You are not anonymous. Yeah. People will find you. People can find you. They will, they know your name. And even if it's just other kids on the internet that want to, yeah. you know, follow you or whatever, yeah. they do. Yeah. That not would... just your friends, you know, and, and differentiate and getting kids to differentiate between, but I want followers, <laughs> which is me. Right. You know. <laughs> Well, right. I want to be private, but I want followers. I'm like, but they're, they, you're not, how do I explain this to you, child? Like, you're not famous. You don't need followers. No one is monetizing your fucking TikTok. But you know what I mean? Like, stop. You're like they're like, not so, yet, mom. Right. Yeah. And they're, but that's the thing is that all kids this age, it's a competition. I have 2,000 followers. I have 2,200. I have, and I'm like, you all don't even know these people. It's one thing when it's a public thing, like, yeah. For work that I have to do, but you know, it's interesting. Even then I have my, it's, it's interesting because people say to me, you know, I've been, I've been to a gazillion treatment centers and I've done all this work and people say to me, Oh, Ashley, I, cause I say my husband's in recovery. And, and so I'm always like, well, we're, they're fucked. And, yeah. uh, people say, but you'll know what to do. You'll know, but you know, you know what to say. And I'm thinking to myself, like there was no, I, I didn't have, TikTok. I don't know. I didn't know what Tinder was. I had to Google it. Like I, I am not prepared. With every generation comes a whole right. new set of right. more horrifying things to get in trouble with than the last. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So like yeah. for years, parents had to worry about their kids, you know, smoking, and now there's they've got a jewel and yeah. well, and there's fentanyl, yeah. but they've oh dueling, yeah, their rooms, and they're never going to sell it, right? It was really hard to hide smoking cigarettes in high school. Totally. Like, I got it's a rite of time. passage, you, damn it. Up, right. Like you reek of cigarettes. Why are you looking totally. at all? No, no, up, I don't even out the window of your bedroom. You know. Right, yeah. But you couldn't even do that because it fucking yeah. reeked in your house. Now can't smell it. It doesn't you get away with that shit. So, you know, how I'm do you right drooling, I didn't even think of that. How do you balance, you know, giving your kids privacy, which is important and having to be in every single thing right. and in their account and reading every single message and, and knowing that they delete messages. And yeah. Every new generation is, yeah. uh, is, is faced with a whole other set of. Yeah. This is uh, my dad used to say, I know I'm never going to beat you because you have all the time and you spend all the time in the world thinking of how to outsmart me. So I'll never outsmart you because you have all the time to think about how. Right. Right. Exactly. And, like, and they've also got, you know, new tools. Accomplice. Yeah. Well, they've got new tools and they've got accomplices. Yeah. They, you know, like I'm not sitting around with my mom friends trying to figure out how to like bullshit the kids, you know. But kids are like, okay, we've got a plan. Totally. You know, and and that should work. Yep. It does. It does. You know, that's that's how it is. So I you know, I am not foolish enough to think that I'm going to, you know, always catch every little thing that they do. But luckily so far, they're both really dumb <laughs> when they try to get away with it. 
So I feel like at least I ha- can outsmart them a right, little right, bit right. based on some of my history, but it's going to not be long before they, they catch up. And they advance. Out. Yeah. You got some time though. So one the one thing that's going on right now is I'm finding out where I have neglected or where I have used being busy or, you know, neglected doing right. work or whatever it is, like all the issues. From based on COVID, and I've it's just been very destabilizing for my recovery. How? What are? Mm -hmm. What have you? Like you're saying, like it's a shit show over here as it is. You know, like emotional, like all these stuff. Yeah. What stuff have you been? Has come up for you that you're like, what? Like during COVID, during being Um, in your home, my self criticism is. I am really, really hard on myself. I expect myself to function without giving myself any fuel to do it. You know what I mean? Like I, like, why can't you do all the things with, with no, you know, with no food, no sleep, no energy, no money, no, like, why can't you just pull it all off? And what a piece of shit are you that you're not, you know? So like that has been the thing I think that and my anxiety, my anxiety when of the unknown, of what happens, what happens next. I just want to feel right. like, like I, what, okay, what, what's I'm the on, date? I'm solid ground. Yeah. Right. Right. When do I, when do I go back yeah, to yeah. work? Just, I, can I please know that, you know? And that has been really hard for me. And I think has sent me off into a tailspin. Um, is just dealing with, with my anxiety and I, I struggle with it, you know, physically. Uh, I, and so I'm having to, uh, you know, I'm not eating, I'm not doing it. So I'm having to, you know, tell them myself and, call my nutritionist and call all of the things and, 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 and also become very self-aware of new bad behaviors in regards to trying to find solution for my, you know, the, the whack, the whack brain. Right. Right. And so it's, you know, all of the, the things, you know, whether it be food or, you know, exercise or sleep little, too much or too little or too, you know, everything has to be perfect in the house, whatever it is, like, those are the things that are coming up for me. And so, you know, I'm having to write a lot. I'm having to, luckily my, my best friend is not sick of me yet. And so I just call her. (laughs) Um, my boyfriend is absolutely wonderful and amazing and so patient and kind to me when I can't be kind to myself. And that has, you know, that's made all the differences because I know I'm, I know I'm struggling at times with certain things. Like my sobriety is good, but there's a whole host of other, you know, fun things to delve into in, in, uh, mental health. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, that's, I'm having to not beat myself up for realizing that I'm struggling. Yeah. That somehow I'm not immune to, uh, world pandemic, of this, you know? Right. Yeah. I'm not, uh, I guess I'm who knew apparently. Yeah. Who knew I'm still human. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, I still have feelings and emotions and I'm also a very uncomfortable feeler. I don't like having feelings and emotions. So when I do, and when they come out very messy all over the place, it, it's a very out of control feeling. Yeah. So it's just, a, it, I'm dealing with, with loss of control right yeah. now as we all are yeah. and what that looks like and how we remedy it, how we change it, how, we make peace with it, you know, all of that. And it's not pretty. Yeah. You know, last week I was a PMSing rage monster and I, I called my mom and I, 
you know, I hadn't eaten and I was just cranky and hangry and PMSy and crying and the kids were being little demon people and it was just all bad. And I was like, that's it. I am running away. <laughs> yes. Like I just pictured myself yep. like yep. getting in my car that's and just into the sunset. Later yeah. <laughs> I'm not, yeah. And, <laughs> and I was like, yep, I can do it. I can totally do yep. it. I probably wouldn't. I'm like two days in, then I'd feel bad. And then I was like, oh, I can't do that. <laughs> you know, and like, you start realizing the crazy thoughts that you have of like, I just need this to feel better. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I, I've gotten the runaway feeling when there's no world pandemic. So I can't blame. Right. And that's the yeah. thing is I get it too. Like I gotta go. I, I, I mean, I, you know, my boyfriend is my mom. I struggle really hard. Like it's, it's not easy for me. Past couple years have not been easy for my anxiety and depression. And this is not helping. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I have to be, and, and I just have had to be kind to myself. And it's like, you know what, if today you can't get out of bed and you're just kind of a weepy, puddly mess, then that's what it is yep. today. And, and you'll have, the kids are going to have to help out and pull it together too. Or, you know, or I try, I really try and schedule my mental health, you know, breakdowns for days when the kids aren't here. A lot of you that way <laughs> to just lay in bed, right, right. Just, you know, to lay in bed, but trying to take that pressure off of myself for not, I don't know, like not, and I think we see it a lot right now too. It's like, you know, if you're not, you know, writing your memoir, losing 15 pounds, getting in the best shape of your life and, you know, building a new at-home garden, then, you know, time was never your issue. You're just a lazy fuck is basically what the meme says. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah. That's not true. When, when life is humming along normally, I have energy. I have zero energy because I'm, Spending, exerting so much mental energy yep. 24 hours a day just thinking about everything. And I forget that. And I think we yeah. all do. How exhausting anxiety, depression, the mental energy we we spend spinning our own wheels. And then we get to the end of the day. We're like, why am I so exhausted? exhausted. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's plus, plus motherhood is just fucking exhaust. I mean, it is. How people, it's never ending. There's no, and there's no, um, you know, and that's, I think been hard for me too, is in this pandemic, you know, I, I usually, I, when I'm here with the kids, it's me and the kids right now. There's no, no help. There's no, you know, there, there's no one to like pass a baton to. There's not that there normally is anyway, but you know, I have an amazing nanny who, when I'm working is here with the kids a couple of days a week, plus they're at school with their friends yeah. and they're getting all of that energy out and all of that stuff. So it's no wonder we're all falling apart. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Of course we are. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't have, like, there's no, I can't tap, uh, tap out. Yeah. There's, I have to be teacher, chef, you know, driver, nurse, therapist, yep. mom, security. all of the things to two people. Security, right. To two people who are very much over me and don't want to hear me say one more thing to them, really. And now I, I, that's it. I've got to be the one and only thing to them. Right. And it's exhausting. Yeah. You know, and as, and as moms, we always feel like, you know, why am I, not, no one's doing anything for me. Totally. <laughs> and I remember my mom losing her shit about that all the time. And be, as a kid being like, oh my God, what's mom's problem? <laughs> totally. Why is she up? And now I'm like, I'm so sorry, mom. Like, I'm so sorry. Because it is, it's a, it is a thankless parenting is a thankless job where it's like, I, you just get to deal with people all day that spew all of their negativity all over you and you don't get to take it out on them. Yeah. 
you have to be loving and caring and compassionate to them anyway because they're your children and you love them but they're mean sometimes. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you know yeah. it's hard yeah it's hard it is it's so if there's other parents out there listening we're all falling apart it's okay yeah. go yeah you know, it's okay cry it out for a few minutes in the bathroom and you're gonna be okay yep. the kids are gonna survive this and and at some point we'll all laugh about it you know, in a few years, we'll be like, I remember when we almost just all strangled each other during quarantine. <laughs> oh, that was so funny. Yeah. God. Yeah. yeah. I hope my kids laugh at it. I hope they don't just look at me and go, yeah, no, that wasn't yeah. funny, mom. That was really serious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it should be really, it'll be interesting to see what, I mean, what, ha- what comes out of this and what happens, because I know that the recovery community is, is, I mean, everybody's struggling, everybody's struggling. They're just, re- they're, most people's reactions aren't fatal. And, and what was interesting about what you said, I've been thinking about how you, um, and, and I know this to be true in LA, there are small meetings where people who are in the business who are, who have some celebrity go and, and, and they can, they feel comfortable. And I didn't even think about that. The fact that with their, that for you guys in that category, it is not the same for, I mean, I guess, I guess you could do those small groups online, but, but the going to a right. lot of, and it's funny because in person meetings, it's different. Because in-person meetings, it's somehow you find your people, you know, you know, your meeting, you go to your meet, you can, you know, you can blend in. There's something very, uh, and I think everyone feels so self-conscious on meetings because you're just staring at each other, you know, (laughs) Um, that I think it's a little bit different. But, you know, I've made it work. I've I've spoken at meetings. I've, you know, gone to meetings and just turned my screen off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The biggest thing for me that I found is really just connecting with people and other people in the program. I still work, you know, I have a, a couple of funsies that are out of state that I have worked with. So, you know, I'm still working with them and talking to them and trying to find opportunities to be of service where I can, whether it's in the program or, or without, you know, the tools, the tools don't change. They're still there. Got to pick up different combinations of them yeah. and, and figure them out a little bit. Yeah, Totally. Well, uh, you're amazing. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I really, I really appreciate it. My pleasure. It. I really appreciate it. And yeah, absolutely. You have an awesome podcast called Never Thought I'd Say This with your best friend. Yes. Uh, where yes. you guys. Julia Behar and I discuss our parenting fails on the regular basis. Yeah. Every Wednesday uh, it comes out and that's on uh, Apple, uh, iTunes, Spotify, and any place you can get, you can get podcasts. So, and if you're not offended by the F word, then I, then, then you can listen. But <laughs> my, my, that's always the warning that my mom gives it, to people there. She's like, the podcast is hilarious. But if you're offended by language, I, I suggest you don't listen. <laughs> I, 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 I always laugh when yeah. we're, we like, there was talk about put like, we have to put explicit if I say fuck on this podcast, but right. like the, if I don't say fuck and we're talking about, you know, using meth and cocaine, it's totally fine. Like when that's not explicit. It's totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, okay, well, how do you like, how do you draw that line? But okay. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But yeah, we do that. And we're in our second season and we've been recording from home for the past few months, just doing it like we're doing now, you know, making the zoom and the podcast and the FaceTime and all of that work. And I love it. Well, awesome. We'll put all that stuff in the show notes. Thank you so much. Yeah. And then, uh, 
and then Fuller House comes out June 2nd. Oh, yes. So it'll probably be out by the time it's out. So Fuller House premieres June 2nd, and uh-huh. where can people find that? That's on Netflix. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, Makes it yeah. easy. Thank yep. you so much, Jody. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Thank nice you. to talk to you. You too. Okay, bye. This podcast is sponsored by Lion Rock Recovery. Lion Rock provides online substance abuse counseling where clients can get help from the privacy of their own home. They are accredited by the Joint Commission and sessions are private, affordable, and user-friendly. Call their free helpline at 800-258-6550 or visit www.lionrockrecovery.com for more information.